Welcome to the Wilds cast. Today, Rabbi Wilds speaks with Gabriel Boxer. He's known as Kosher Guru and is a leading kosher industry food and restaurant consultant and social media sensation with over 40,000 followers on Instagram. He also runs one of the largest and fastest organically growing kosher foodie Facebook groups, Kosher Gurus, Kosher Nation. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wildcast MGE's podcast. I have with me Gabriel Boxer, who's known as the Kosher Guru. Uh, he's a leading kosher industry food and restaurant consultant. Heard amazing, amazing things about you, Gabriel. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, everybody, for having me on your uh, show over here. Awesome. It's an honor and a pleasure. So Gabriel, for those who don't know, is a also a social media sensation. He's got over 40,000 followers on Instagram, and he runs one of the largest and fastest organically growing kosher foodie Facebook groups, uh, Facebook groups, excuse me, called Kosher Gurus Kosher Nation. He's all about bringing anything and everything kosher to the masses in a very fun and co- fun-filled and kosher way. Uh, he's also hosting the only kosher foodie and restaurant show called The Nosh, uh, which you can hear every Thursday night at 9.30 p.m. on 6.20 a.m. in the New York City area. Um, he writes for the food section of Ami magazine. Uh, he's a, a weekly food writer for Whisk, and he also hosts these great vacation programs and lectures on the kosher restaurant scene. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation about kosher food. Um, let's start off with some chesed, with some beautiful kindness that you uh, performed during COVID. Uh, you did an amazing job of helping people who needed food uh, during COVID, uh, getting food also to first responders, certainly a, a real Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. Why was it so important for you to do this at the time? So I had to do a lot with, I've always tried to volunteer and do a lot of chesed and my ADHD um, self-diagnosed kicking at the same time where I just couldn't sit home, couldn't sit in my office throughout the height of people say. A friend of mine, you know, sent me a WhatsApp. His one of his close friends, who I happen to know, is a head doctor of a COVID unit emergency room out at a hospital in Long Island where I live. And he's like he's been working for 72 hours straight, no food. I'm like, Steve, hold on, I'll be right back. I ran down the block, um, drove, okay, fine. Car <laughs> bought a lot of pizza and all kinds of other things that was in the restaurant and drove it out uh, to South Nassau Community Hospital to Mount Sinai Hospital on Oceanside. Called up the doctor, he went downstairs. The chesed that was done, the Kiddush Hashem um, that we showed to the whole unit there, that showing thanks, showing our karazatov, showing appreciation and making Kiddush Hashem by not only feeding this one doctor, but his whole unit just started an entire organization that's now a 501c3 called Kosher Funds, where in the height, it was also helping these restaurants, where these restaurants were struggling to make a parnasa, pay their bills, pay their employees. Um, and we literally started from one delivery to for months straight, feeding hundreds, sometimes thousands a day throughout the entire tri-state area. And then we did a few in Chicago, California, Florida, um, which then blossomed into... We were getting phone calls from local families who were, when I say local, were located on the south shore of Long Island. I'm at a little beyond that point also. But so many families who were struggling out of work, struggling to pay their bills. And then it's nice doing this chesed, but we can't afford to put food on our tables. Yeah. No um, kosher food bank or soup kitchen. I shouldn't say food bank. It's a food bank, but no kosher soup kitchen out 
in this area, we started a program that helps support local small businesses. It was called Feed a Family, Fuel a Restaurant, where we would purchase discounted gift cards from local restaurants. Um, we had a social worker with us and was a vetting process to make sure that these families were able to get food and do it in Beautiful. Beautiful. Something at their front door. We gave them gift cards and it brought dignity back to them. We were able to go to the restaurant, purchase what they wanted and enjoyed for their family. And then on Shabbos, for over a year and a half straight now, we've been delivering full catered Shabbos in a box packages to hundreds of people every single week where we raise money and purchase these boxes for so many people every week. Wow. Who, um, I mean, uh, Gabriel, you raised the money for this? That That's a big expense. You're hundreds of people every week. You're giving free food for Shabbat? Yes. we. It gets harder and harder as the weeks go on. I'm sure you in the nonprofit world and being a rub understand and, you know, at the MG, what it, what it is to cover your expenses, cover your budget. Um, and it was my first you know, foray into the not-for-profit. And- if, if someone wants to uh, contribute, so anyone who's listening to this, I, 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 this is not about solicitations, but what a beautiful chesed, what a beautiful charity. How, how would somebody contribute to that? The easiest way is just on our website, kosherresponse.com. Beautiful. Um, it all goes through donor box, so you get a full receipt. And that's, it's, it's, I'm sure you know, every week it just gets harder and harder even cover us to raise to purchase all the food on a daily basis and a weekly basis. That's amazing. Just, uh, I just want to make sure everyone can hear you okay. Scott, who's doing our tech work here, I just want to make sure that Gabriel, because he's coming in and out here and there, I think I hear you pretty good, but just want to make sure if there's anything we can do to fine-tune um, the audio here. But guys, kosherresponse.com if you'd like to. What, what, what do you have to contribute to, let's say, for a box for a family for Shabbat? The one box costs us a little bit less, but we always ask to cover a box dollars a box it our actual cost is just a little below that including bakery dessert what, what was the number you, you you literally went out when you said the figure <laughs> an exact box we ask for a hundred dollars a box dollars okay friday night dinner and shabbos lunch the entire box comes with filter fish collar rolls um salad chips kugels chicken cold cuts uh chillin beautiful the full shop all right, you're getting, you're getting me hungry here. You're getting me hungry. All right, so kosherresponse.com if anybody wants to contribute. Let me ask you a question. Even before COVID, it was tough um, for um, kosher restaurants in New York City You know, to – I've been living in Manhattan for 25 years. I, I see these restaurants come and go. Uh, what do you think kosher rest, restaurants need to do now to make it? Uh, and first of all, even before you answer that, just call a kavod to you, Gabriel, for doing this wonderful work and, and feeding – the poor um, of our of our of our people and making it kosher. I, I just think that's so wonderful. But what what do you do for kosher restaurateurs and people who own restaurants whose livelihood and it's not just their livelihood, it's all the people who work for them. What do they what do they need to do now to, to keep up? So first of all, thank you for the kind words, Rabbi. It's to get into your question, especially we'll talk about Manhattan in general. I know where you're located. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard in today's day and age. Forget about Thing beforehand, and you have to break it down between an elegant upscale, a middle of the road, we'll call it, and then just a family pizza store, family restaurant. Because what COVID brought upon us in the city, which is a reality, is the amount of people that used to be working in Manhattan and traveling into Manhattan every day, or traveling if they live on the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, Lower East Side, traveling 
to other parts of the area, now that there are so many people that are working remotely, those thousands and thousands of people are no longer uh, right. Right. cannot be a customer. They're just not there to be a customer. What has transcended is that a few have opened and a few are right now very successful in Manhattan are destination places, a high-end mm-hmm. restaurant um, where people will travel for dinner. They no longer really have a lunch crowd, but they'll travel for dinner, let's say, to a Rothschild TLV, um, Wall Street Grill, Reserve Club, Barnea. I could go on and on of all the restaurants in, in, in the city of that caliber, but being a destination location for a higher-end Mm-hmm. experience we'll call it there are still people coming from the outer boroughs and on you know bordering new jersey connecticut even Long island who are traveling in so they still might not have their lunch crowd but these mm-hmm. high restaurants that they are a destination still um that they might be open have the crowd it's it's the middle of the road restaurants and the more family-oriented restaurants that are hurt more and more the crowd's not there for them People have left, unfortunately, Manhattan, moved elsewhere, or are not, as we said, no longer coming into work. So your local pizza stores, your local, you know, uh, burger shop, or whatever it is on the, I'm called the mid-family range or the lunch range, have to now more and more rely on whatever community they have. So if it's located on the west side, upper east side, wherever it is, they can no longer um, rely on corporate catering or lunches like they used to, and they're reaching out more and more to the community for support. And, and t- tell our viewers, not everybody is so, uh, our listeners and our viewers, um, are, is so up on why kosher food costs so much more. When you go to a, a kosher restaurant, even if it's a, if it's a pizza store, um, it, the, the pizza costs more than, you know, uh, a regular, you know, non-kosher pizza store, certainly a meat store. Just tell us a little, what, what, where's the expense going? So a lot of the expense is going, let's, we'll break it down by store by store. But when you're talking about a meat store, um, or you've given or talked about this somewhere along the path, when you shecht a cow, when you slaughter a cow, we'll take one animal, for example, when you slaughter a cow, a cow could be X amount of pounds, but in the Ashkenazic um, minhag, and Ashkenazic Jewish of what we're allowed to eat, what we're not allowed to eat, it's almost negating 50% of that cow of non-kosher that we just don't eat uh, and we don't have those cuts of meat. So you're talking about the actual slaughtering process, um, the cost of a choking slaughterer, the supervision, the mm-hmm. truck shipping. It's not like, it's not like we have thousands or hundreds of slaughterhouses that are kosher in the country. We have actually quite a few, very few, um, located in the Midwest or down South. Um, the, yes, there are local artisanal ones, but not on, on a level of production and mass production that they do. So um, so it's a skill. I mean, I can tell everyone also, I studied the laws of Shkita when I was in rabbinical school, just to give everyone a little sense of what, what Gabriel's saying. It took me four months just to learn um, the Shulchan Aruch, the passages in the Code of Jewish Law that pertain to Shkita. And at that point, after four months, if you brought me a cow, <laughs> I wouldn't know which way was up. Okay, because I wasn't interested in being a kosher butcher. If I did, I'd have to go for more training. So it's a highly... You know, uh, it's something you have to be trained for. It's a skill. And what about dairy, though? So, like, so that's so, so, uh, and what are the other expenses before we get to dairy, actually? So, you have the kosher meat. You have, what, kosher, what, you, you, you have in, in a store, you have your kosher supervision, which charges. Then, on right. top of 
that's your supervising agency um, that we sort of hold by. Um, but <laughs> sort of you hold by it, but then there's other expenses also in that that you have a mashkiach, a full time on site rabbinic supervisor right. that other salary that a non kosher restaurant um, does not have. And right. depending on how large the restaurant is and how much vegetables they wash, that could be two even salaries because that we don't eat bugs and we check our vegetables for bugs. You're washing lettuce, broccoli, cauliflower. It takes hours and hours um, yeah. of time, which is man hours, labor, and also, and I'm not to be quote unquote exact on now what I'm about to say, but if you buy a case of romaine lettuce, let's say that case of romaine lettuce costs you twenty dollars. A not kosher store could use that whole case of romaine, whether they do or not. To the story, a kosher store now has to wash the romaine, cut it. There's a lot that you lose, um, and then that romaine. Now that you just put man hours of washing and cleaning and drying into it and going through it, and checking that box of romaine that could have cost a non kosher store twenty dollars, that could cost you a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, depending how long it took. And how yeah. Romaine- yeah, it's all it's the man, it's the manpower you're saying. Manpower. I mean, I remember. I, I used to I used to give a hashkach. I used to give rabbinic supervision over a couple of restaurants in the city, dairy places. So you you do a dairy place. You can be what's called yotzev nichnas. You can come in and out. You don't have to have a full time rabbinic supervisor like in a meat place, which obviously is much more expensive. And that's probably one of the reasons why meat restaurants have to kosher meat restaurants have to charge so much more. But even in a dairy restaurant, I remember walking in, going into the basement or wherever they were the kitchen. And seeing that the lighting was a little poor, so I had to suggest um, to the owner of the store that he put in better lighting. That cost a few extra dollars because they had. They, I saw where they were checking the lettuce; the lighting was poor, and you needed better lighting there. So, just like a little example, um, and, and and anything else, because there are a lot of people. Have, you know, we have a lot of listeners and participants at MGE who are sort of on the line. They want to start keeping more kosher. They want to become more observant, but. It's more expensive and it's a little more limiting, you know, so it, this is very good for people to know. It's not sort of some people say they get a little cynical. Oh, it's just politics. It's not politics. You got to pay people to do extra work and the extra training that's necessary for, let's say, the shechita, like you said, for the ritual slaughter of the animal itself when it comes to meat. But even dairy, because people say, what is so expensive? Why does it cost me $3.50 for a slice of pizza for $4? Right. Well, so the cheese is a lot more expensive, and whether we mm-hmm. hold followed by chalibisrol and non chalibisrol, when you're making your runs, your production of kosher cheese, your 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 consumer base is a lot less than in the non kosher uh-huh. world. The non kosher right. world, supply you can have a billion pounds, and everyone's buying. In the kosher world, you're only making X amount of pounds. We have X amount of people. Your cost. Um, I always tell everybody if you if you need a let's just simple math you need one mashkiach for a hundred person wedding you divide the right up, guys a mashkiach is a rabbinic supervisor keep going yeah right so if you for at a wedding you have that you you need that rabbinic supervisor for a hundred people so you divide his salary by a hundred people you get a certain number now three hundred people at the wedding you still need one rabbinic supervisor but you take his salary divided by three hundred people it's much right. less. Of course, so of we, course, it's all scale. There's only so much of a kosher consuming the entire. There's only so much production being made. 
and and salaries, you're 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 sending people around the world. Yes, around the world. There's Chavis around in New Zealand. I was just in Florida this past Shabbos and speaking to somebody who was a rabbinical supervisor doing a kosher run in New Zealand of a sheep cheese. The mm-hmm. amount it just costs them to fly him there, keep him there for the, um, and then his time he's there. All these expenses go in to your product. They're all cost of goods that you know are based on what the product will be sold at, at the end. I hear you. I hear you. Now we've got a lot of daters. Let's let's switch gears for a minute. MGE is a singles community, twenties and thirties. We boast about three hundred and forty-six. Uh, shidduchs. I don't know if you are uh, aware of that. So we have a lot of people meeting and marrying, going out a lot. What's a kosher restaurant you would suggest if um, if money was not an object and if money was an object? <laughs> okay. I hope I don't get in trouble with any of uh, the restaurants that I deal with uh, um, and not mention my apologies in advance. But let's, we're gonna, I'm assuming we're going to talk about in Manhattan, correct? Yeah, let's take the city. Let's take the city. So if you look for that, you know, um, high-end, high-scale, you have Wall Street Grill, Barnea, Reserve Cut, you have Rothschild, you have four very, very high-end um, restaurants. One of the hidden gems where I think it's great uh, for Shaduchim and probably budget-wise, a little bit more budget-conscious, No Dewey Carne. And I'm thinking, mm. no Dewey mm-hmm. but No Dewey Carne for a Shaduch, I think, the way they have their restaurant and the way they have, you know, certain sections in the back um, happens to be great. And budget-wise, the food happens to be amazing. Um, if you're, I, very- I, I, want, I want to give a plug for no for the Nui Dewey Dairy, which just moved further to closer to MGE, which I appreciate them doing this. Um, and, and, and during COVID, they were outside. Um, during COVID, they were outside. And I, I also want to give a shout out, if it's okay. Um, Gabriel, I want to give a shout out to two restaurants that were very, very good to us at MGE during COVID because we have a rooftop, thank God, but we share it. It's actually the Jewish Center's rooftop on the Upper West Side. MGE is located in the two upper floors of the Jewish Center. And um, they were very gracious to give us the rooftop for Friday night davening. But for Shabbos morning, Shabbat morning services, we were literally on the street. So I want to thank Talia Steakhouse, my friend Effie who owns Talia Steakhouse. They let us pray there for weeks. And then we had a kiddish with them. And I want to thank Amsterdam Burger because we also prayed there for weeks and we're outside. And I guess I got to thank the people of Central Park, but they didn't really provide any food. Um, we, we had our prayer services in Central Park next to the, the all the yoga um, all the yoga people by Turtle Pond. But that, there was no food there. We brought our own. Anyway, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, not at all. But you just mentioned some great people. Uh, Golan from Noah Dewey, throughout COVID, also did a lot of chesed, a, trem- a tremendous amount of chesed. For- right, chesed, everyone, those listening, chesed means kindness. Go kindness. for it. So. Many people, you know, as a middle-of-the-road type of place, meaning budget-wise, Noah Dewey's a great place. Um, Amsterdam Burger, another great place for a middle, you know, of the road, budget-wise. Um, Mr. Broadway in Midtown, also mm-hmm. another- you have so many kosher options in Manhattan, um, very close to where you're located. And if you have so many singles and you're making shidduch and you're making matches, the opportunity, I don't want to say endless because you're not billion, but there's so many opportunities there to enjoy. Um, totally. I think we just, we just lost you for a second there at the end. 
So, uh, by the way, you're making my case for me because I've been promoting kosher food for 25 years. And, um, and I've always said that in the city, it's just so easy. There's like a real beautiful uh, array. Um, at MG, we have a kiddish after services. Um, oh, by the way, why do you think daters, let's go back to dating for a second, are turned off when someone is rude, um, you know, to the wait staff? You know, I've always said that that was like an interesting way of looking at a potential spouse. How do they speak to the wait staff? You, you ever think about that? I, I I have. I'm going to admit that I've been out of the dating scene for about 20 years now. Um, so I can't talk on that perspective. But well, when you, were, when, when you were dating, Gabriel, if your wife-to-be or a girl you were sitting across from in a restaurant was rude, okay, let's say to the to the waiter or waitress, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's a turnoff. What do you think? Big turnoff, but not only in dating. And I understand that. MJE it, it involved in dating and and and, and shidduchim with young singles, but just in general, it shows your your your, your character, your sure. your your midos. It shows what type of person you are. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I want I want to jump to I want to jump to the Ben and Jerry scandal because you came out with something really interesting. You've been very very vocal in your opinion. That the hashkacha Ben and Jerry's we know is kosher ice cream, and those of you unfamiliar, Ben and Jerry's basically said that they would not um, sell in Israel because of the um, basically joined the BDS movement. Um, and you called for the Chafke, which is a very well reputed uh, kosher agency that gives the hashkacha, that gives the rabbinic supervision, to strip their hashkacha. Others have said that kashrut has only to do with food ingredients has nothing to do, should have nothing to do with politics or even morality. But you seem to feel otherwise. Let's hear what you have to say on that. So the, the Ben and Jerry's issue is a lot bigger than just boycotting Ben and Jerry's. What people have to understand is that although, yes, Ben and Jerry's is owned by Clever and the original owners of Ben and Jerry's have sold for a tremendous amount, um, the Ben and Jerry's in America, Ben and Jerry's Corporation, is run by an independent board as my understanding from Unilever, Ben and Jerry's in Israel, um, I think we should still support because right now they're still operating and supporting a lot of uh, Jewish people and Muslims and a lot of people there. It shows the cohesiveness, almost like a photo episode of where we're located and everyone's working in harmony and peace. And it's a beautiful um, that they have there. And I hope that 2023, I think it is, I hope they do not get their license stripped and I hope that they, you know, that it's reversed by Ben and Jerry's. Mm-hmm. Continue doing amazing stuff, but here in America, when we have to face and around the world, but here in America, as uh, young Jews or Jewish people, with facing the BDS movement today and people um, illegitimizing Israel mm-hmm. and really attacking Israel and economic terrorism on so many levels, I believe that we have to stand up for what's right and and wrong and a stand for Israel and the Jewish people. And I also believe that if you really go through so much of what's out there in the world. A lot of it might be swept under the rug. We don't talk about it because it's not a big scandal. But politics is already involved in so much of the kosher world. Certain people for political reasons or or their Jewish level. Um, there was a few years ago a certain performer was supposed to be performing and I want to get into it right now in, at a restaurant on a Matzei Shabbos in, in Flatbush. The Hashkacha came out and said if you allow her to perform we're going to pull your Hashkacha. 
the politics card on many different levels. And just people don't know about it, don't talk about it, but it has been pulled many, many times. And behind the scenes, and I've been in the culture food world uh, since I was 15, working for a caterer and learned a lot. Unfortunately, unfortunately, seeing a lot of good and unfortunately a lot of bad. But the reality is that whether people want to understand or not, whether they want to admit or not, whether they want to agree or not, the politics card is played on a daily basis there. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Chavkei an opportunity, or a missed opportunity, where they could have stood up for Israel, and I don't know their contractual legalities, but they could, mm-hmm. they, they could have come out and said, we support Israel, we support what's going on, um, contractually, we are obligated, and there's no weeks. I know there's lots of clauses, so I don't know their contract. Mm-hmm. I know they give caterers and restaurants lots of clauses. If you do this, we can pull your shkacha. If you do that, we can pull your shkacha. I, I have not seen the contract. Shkacha, with- just everyone's listening. Hashkacha is the um, the rabbinic supervision. So we're discussing whether or not the chafke uh, did the right thing by keeping quiet and continuing to rabbinically supervise Ben and Jerry's. Uh, ice cream here in the United States, even though they have joined the BDS movement. But you, you, you feel that even if legally, let's say legally they were required, you know, this is not a basis to pull out. They could be in breach of contract. Okay, could find something if they wanted to, or come out publicly and say we stand with Israel. We won't be renewing the contract. Uh-huh. So they, they didn't even even a, a letter that they um, whitewash coming out vanilla. Maybe I'm a chocolate lover, but so vanilla in their flavor that it, it just was very, very sad. And one thing that we have to understand is there are a lot of kosher rabbinical supervisions, kosher agencies out there that do great work. Um, we could get into the politics another time, but most of them are nonprofit organizations. They are not for profit organizations. Some of them are even connected to large organizations. The Chafke is a for profit business. As, uh-huh. as, as a business to a business, and sometimes we have to put our morals in front, our love of Israel, our Jewish people, and stand up to BDS. So it was a not-for-profit organization that was a lot more involved, maybe a different situation, but as a for-profit business to stand up and to say, we support Israel and we will not be um, intimidated by the BDS. We will not stand for um, this decision that was you know, fueled by um, their connection to certain people in politics and the BDS, but there was, as far as I know, and you can tell me I'm wrong, there was no political. Sorry, use the word. There was no statement from the Chafke coming out. That, right now, I haven't heard anything. Do you think we should be pressuring them? Is anybody calling them and saying, "Listen, this doesn't look good for you know Achdus for unity in the Jewish community"? Here, they're really, you know, they're really doing something pretty awful in terms of Israel and and lending their support to a very ominous movement, the BDS movement. Um, do you think we should be, and me, I mean, what do you think? you think me as a rabbi, I should be calling them? I should be getting... I think, uh, I, I know many people have called them and emailed them. I know people um, in the press have called them. They've given no response. Um, I believe it is important. Now, now, once again, you're talking about a business here. I'm not talking about a rabbinical organization or a not-for-profit organization where... Right, right. Could be led differently. This is a business, and a business has a right or has the option. They don't have a board of directors. They have a board of directors that we're talking about other cautious organizations. But I truly believe that a Kurdish bar who gave this supervision an opportunity to stand up and say, We support Israel and we're behind Israel. 
and I believe they lost that opportunity to show that the Jewish people support Israel at all costs. Right now, there are so many people out there that believe it's all about the finances. It's all about the money. Hey, we don't care what their stand is on Israel. We don't care what they say about Israel or the Jewish people, as long as we're or, getting... Or they, or they argue it's just a slippery slope, because it, because if, if we pull the hashkacha because of this moral issue, and there's another moral issue, it, you know... But I happen to agree with you. I mean, I think, Gabriel, you're in a position because you have a very large following. Your whole life is, you know, you are the kosher guru to maybe, you know, lead some sort of campaign to, I mean, I, I, I hate to do this, you know, because they are our fellow Jews, but to maybe to pressure them to, to pull out or to make some kind of statement. You know, maybe their lawyers are telling them they're not even permitted to do that. They can get themselves in the lawsuit. I don't know. But it does not look good. Does not look good. Um, I I I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I'm trying, you know, as best as I can via social media and my platforms, and you know, writing for certain uh, publications to get my point of view out there. And it's only my opinion. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. If you want to, you know, sort of feel that my opinion is opinion that you agree with as well to get on board to follow. As I'm saying. There are lots of, there are certain hashkachas, people don't always, you're talking about politics. There are certain hashkachas that won't give certain caterers hashkacha because supervision because of the synagogue that they're in. They get, you know, there's the Orthodox Reform Conservative synagogues. There's uh, supervisions that say if you have mixed dancing, we won't give you um, a supervision. So is, is supervision only about politics? Right, well, we lost you there. I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, just repeat the last thing. Is supervision, that's when, when is, you is supervision, is supervision void of politics or supervisions already intertwined with certain politics as they won't give supervision to people who are in certain synagogues or locations. They won't right. give supervision to certain people if there's mixed dancing or if the dress right. is of a certain way, dress right. code, not the dress, dress code is of a certain way. No, it's a real, it, it, listen, it's a real issue. Let's say there's a, a convicted uh, felon or someone who's really doing some really awful things and he wants, you know, to, to have a kosher catered affair at his home while he's doing evil, terrible things. Um, there's no question that, um, that the hashkacha, rabbinic supervision, should not lend any credence to that kind of activity. I'll say, well, what does one thing have to do with the next? If he wants to eat kosher food, let him eat kosher food. But like, we can't look at things in such a, you know, I just wonder how there's no movement as far as you know to not to boycott the Chafke, but to pressure them uh, so into. I know at a movement, I know my myself taking on not to, you know, to do my best. I'm not going to say um, I'm going to do a perfect job so far. I've been trying and, and, and doing it to not purchase uh, as many Chafke products, to not mm -hmm. establishments, to do my best to, to show. We care. Where is your voice on Israel? You've, you've told the community where, you, where they're located in Teaneck, New Jersey. You come out saying, we're pro-Israel, we're Zioni or whatever words you want to put on it. Right now, where, where the BDS has sort of won a battle um, against Israel with this large company, where are you in your response and your stance of Israel? Where are you? Okay, you might not, you, you might come out and say, you're not going to take away the supervision right now. But you haven't come out in support of Israel. You haven't come out and say we disagree and we wish we could do more. Look, their 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 whole letter that I read, and I'm assuming that it's been on a few social media 
um, news sites that it is the official letter. It was so vanilla. So if they, when do they, well, what's your stance? Either you agree, you disagree. Either you're going to renew them or you're not going to renew yeah, them. Yeah, that was a law. That was a lawyer's. That was a lawyer's letter. You know, I, I, you let me know, Gabriel, because I, I, uh, I very much agree with your approach here. I, I think we should be doing something. Israel needs to know that we're standing with her, and that we're not going to continue to sanction rabbinically a product that is uh, being withheld from Israel because of, you know, because Israel simply tries to defend herself. I, I do appreciate you speaking up on it. Right now, um, yeah. But right now, it's being made and produced and sold in Israel and allowed to be sold everywhere. Right. That is that they said by, and I forget the exact date. If it's the end of 2022 or the beginning of 2023, when the license is up, they're going to revoke their license if they don't, you know, do what what the what, what Ben and Jerry's corporate wants them to do. And I give a lot of credit to the owner of this manufacturing plant. I believe his name is Avi. I forget his last name. Um, who more or less for a long time now is coming out has stood up and said, no, I'm going to before I produce it, I'm going to sell it to everybody. And what they understand is, this is the funny part. I don't think the BDS understands that if they cease, operations cease to exist, those are jobs that will be taken from Of course, of course. Selling those areas as well. They're not only, they're hurting everybody across the border of their career concept to Israel, but they don't realize that what's really going on in this fact, what they're doing, and the peace and harmony of working together and being sold everywhere, um, economically, it's just a beautiful thing being done. I um, I think you're making an excellent point, and this, uh, you know, that this is what often happens with misguided political movements like BDS. They're hurting the very people they're trying to help. Uh, because uh, the stronger Israel is economically, the more jobs uh, both Israeli Arabs and Palestinians will be able to have in Israel. That's where most of the jobs are. Unfortunately, the Gaza Strip and even the West Bank by the PA, they're not uh, economically viable societies. Israel is, and that's how Muslims and Jews can actually work together. So it's a, it's a, you're, you're pointing out all of the important issues, and I, I congratulate you for taking the Hufke to task, and if there's anything you think we can do, um, you know, or or other parts of the community that you think should be galvanized, because we need to stand with Israel in one unified voice, and anyone who attacks Israel does not get our rabbinic stamp, period. I, I think, Rabbi Wells, for, for you to come up and say something, to get everyone to call or email the Hufke, explain to them, show them that we have support, um, I'm by no means a rub. Um, learned in yeshiva since I was two, you know, post high school yeshiva, but no means on your madrig, on your level of having smich and a rub, to have someone like you to, to, to help galvanize everybody and lead it in a proper way, also with rabbinical support and, and understanding and das and, and real understanding that we're not here to hurt the chafkei. We're not here to right. just a matter of supporting Israel and to stand up. We we live in crazy times to stand you up. You know, I would love to. Is there someone at the chafkei you could introduce me to? Uh, that I could speak with maybe someone on the rabbinic level that I could just, because you never know what else is happening. You know, we're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt. I'd like to find out exactly really what's happening, what's their legal contractual arrangement, uh, and what could really could be done. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the RCA, which is the Rabbinical Council of America. There are a thousand rabbis internationally. Um, we all have large congregations and constituents. 
that are buying the Chafkei's food. And uh, we, we should really be aware of the circumstances. And if there's a reason why they have no choice, um, you know, to continue to supervise, maybe legally they're contracted to do that. And maybe that vanilla response they wrote, you know, was also something I, I just we need. If there's someone you can put me in touch with, I'd really appreciate it. It would be my pleasure. I'll message you a name and a contact okay. number. Um, I also gave this rabbi my word that I wouldn't. He actually called me up one night, like 10, 30 at night. I saw a 201 on New Jersey number. And, oh, and I was like, who's calling me at 10, 30 at night from a 201 number I picked up? And we had a conversation on the phone. And he says, well, I'm going to take my guidance from the Yesha Council. From here, from there, he threw out all these great names. And when I asked specifics, he started stuttering and mumbling and, uh, and, and and couldn't even get to what it was. And I gave my word I'm not going to talk about it. Right. So I want to do my word for people to actually call me and do it for private conversations. But my whole point to him was, you're a for-profit business. You are a business. You're not an organization. And from one business to a next, when they are boycotting, divesting, saying when, when the BDS is doing what they're doing against Israel, we as Jews have to stand up for yeah. what's yeah. right. Get what we believe in for what's right and wrong, as clear as black and white, that we have to come together and say, we will not tolerate this. We stand together in unity and we support Israel. It's amazing. Amazing. I just have, I want to shift gears. Just one last question for you. Um, just this getting back to, to, to food and to eating. Um, I wrote a book actually called the 40 day challenge and it's, designed um, to help people prepare spiritually for the Yom Noraim, for the High Holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. It's got 40 different um, Torah messages and insights to be read every day for starting August 8th, which is Rosh Chodesh Elul, for the 40 days until Yom Kippur. Um, and I have a question for you um, when it comes to food. All right, Rosh Hashanah is a big food time. Yom Kippur is a big no food time. <laughs> okay. How do you recommend, because... Obviously, today, food has to be healthy, right? And we have to eat in a healthy manner. That's a very important precept in the Torah. The Torah says, and you will guard your soul. We know that sometimes kosher food isn't always healthy, but a lot of new, good kosher food is becoming, I see, healthier. How would you help people prepare, let's say, for the food fest that happens at a Kiddush, on Rosh Hashanah, and then preparing for no food on Yom Kippur? So I know Al-Pi you're supposed to start answering the question from the beginning of the question to the end, according to tradition. I'm going to go against the tradition for a second just because okay. you the answer than to start at the front. I sort of have a trick that I've been using uh, when it comes to Yom Kippur and Tishav and, and, and other fats. Coconut water mm. and Watermelon for dessert at a meal and coconut water really a day to two days beforehand. Um, carbs, of course, uh, like a lot of people who do marathons know that carbs keep you energized. But one thing, because I am a big coffee bean drinker, is before I start minimizing my coffee intake um, throughout the week, my, my caffeine intake. And not that I'm here to advertise because they are not a client of mine. I have no connection, don't even know. But I know <laughs> the local supermarkets out by me, they sell, and I don't know the exact names. I don't know what companies are called. Kale, these Israeli vegan type, they call them energy substitute something. Mm -hmm. and believe it or not, 
I truly think they, they work, and they've helped me the last few fasts. Where I take two in the morning of the, the day before the fast, and then the Erev, the right before the fast. I take what is it? It's an energy drink, and then it helps you oh, deal with the caffeine? Like a vegetable pill. It's some type of herbal remedy or something. Okay. Because my, my wife my wife is also a, ca- uh, a coffee addict, and she's brought me to the dark side as well. So um, she's listening on this. So we we want to we want to do that. But first of all, so minimizing your coffee intake a couple of days before uh, Yom Kippur. Um, my wife is shaking her head. She says she does just the opposite. She loads up on, on the, right before the fast. An IV. Put an IV in. By the way, I had a very interesting question from a, a student of mine who was a nurse, and she had to work on Yom Kippur uh, as, as a nurse in a hospital. She couldn't get off the shift. She wanted to know if it was mutter, if it was permissible, al halacha, to hook herself up to an IV. Actually, it was Tisha B'Av. It wasn't Yom Kippur. Um, I said technically it is because it's not derech achila. It's actually not considered eating. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it goes against the spirit, but not technically. What's the deal with coconut water? Why are you recommending coconut water? Um, I honestly forget. I'm sure we can Google it afterwards. I forgot I, I, I get the, what coconut water does, but it retains, it retains, it, it, it really does help. And okay. Google it when it comes to fasts, it, it does a lot. And it has to be pure coconut water. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm drawing a blank on all of the benefits from it right now. But it's really, really recommended. And if, if anyone's out there Googling it, it's one of the things I've seen working, of course, watermelon because of the water content in there that you're eating and stays within you for hopefully um, as much as possible. But getting to Rosh Hashanah and before and going to a Kiddush, um, I've learned to pace myself. <laughs> a lot of food. Um, I, I've heard so many things about your Kiddush that you have all the time on Shabbos and Yantiv. Just pace Low, you know, slow and steady wins the race. So just, just slow and steady wins the race. I love it, and and I'll, I'll tell you a story, Gabriel. Well, you know, um, you know, because it illustrates my constituency, MJE. So most of my students and friends at MJE did not grow up in kosher eating homes. Some did, but most did not. And I remember years ago we were honoring um, someone, a very wealthy guy who was helping me out, and he comes over to me during the dinner. And I'm not going to mention, it was a very like high-end, good kosher caterer. And he's eating this food, and he walks over. He says, Rabbi, this food is absolutely delicious. I would think for a, a, an event for MGE, an outreach program, bringing Jews back to Judaism, you would serve kosher food. So I said, I said, let's say it was Bob. I said, Bob, the food's 100%. It's glad kosher. What do you mean? Says Rabbi, this food can't be kosher. It's delicious. So I, I I realized you and I, okay, we grew up in the Orthodox community. We know that there's been an explosion of good kosher food, good kosher wines. It's 20, 30 years old. But for a lot of Jews still associate kosher food with Hamish of food, which is Yiddish for like, you know, it gefilte fish with the slime and the jar, you know, with the and 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 salty and and like, how do we, and that's really one of the, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here because I think you're doing God's work here by, by really putting out gourmet, high-end, healthy, kosher food. How do we get people to see that, that eating kosher, what's that? All psychological, a lot of it, and um, it's a psychological thing that people have in their head that, that kosher is associated with the filter, the 
jar with the slime all around with the gel. Um, people who don't come from a, like you said, an upbringing of keeping kosher and a religious upbringing, they were sort of, it was sort of ingrained in them that kosher is Heimish. Like I said, homie, it's like what their grandmother or buddy who used to be religious or whatever it is from Hungary used to make or Europe. People don't realize and when I speak to chefs, I speak to so many chefs and cooks industry who started working culture and I explained to them, are you aware that, I don't know if it's 90%, 80%, 70%, but the majority of products out there are or can be kosher. Look at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is kosher? They have no idea. <laughs> kosher, they have no idea. They have no idea of what kosher really means. Um, what, what they, they think everything is, 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 is restrictive. Meaning, us restrictive, you don't eat pork, we don't eat non-kosher items, but to them, they're thinking everything is non-kosher. They don't really understand. It's a lot of psychological that there are so many, I'll use this one example. There are so many business meetings that I've had, let's say, a reserve cut. And like you just had with this Bob, we'll call him, I've had so many people say to me, this restaurant's kosher? kosher? <laughs> they don't realize what kosher really is and have a true understanding that kosher can be gourmet, elegant, it's delicious. It's amazing. I try to tell people, you like vegetables? Vegetables are kosher. Salad is kosher. There are so many products and items out there that for whatever psychological reason or reason or upbringing people had, they have a misconception totally of what kosher is and can be. And yeah. I think that I'm trying as best as possible to bring kosher to the masses in a fun-filled way, best as possible to sort of break down those barriers for people to understand what kosher truly is and what it really tastes like and what it can taste like. That's amazing. Well, I really, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here, Gabriel, and I appreciate you speaking to that issue because it's. Uh, I think it's a wonderful entree. Food is such an important part of our life, and in Judaism, what we eat, how we eat, is a very, very important thing because Torah is all about elevating and sanctifying the physical. And there's nothing more physical than food. And God clearly wants us to eat in a certain way because there are all these rules and laws in the Torah. And the restrictions really enable us to elevate the experience of food, not simply, you know, to eat because I'm hungry, right? We don't mate because, you know, we're feeling in a certain kind of way. We have a loving, sanctified relationship with our partners we have the same thing when it comes to food. We take everything in the physical world and we spiritually elevate it. And keeping kosher is one way of doing that. And I think the more we can demonstrate that kosher food, like you said, beautifully, it's gourmet, it's elegant, it's tasty, uh, and it's healthy, and it can be healthy. Right. Um, and, and there's nothing about keeping kosher that's unhealthy. It's just depending on who's handling it. And kosher wine also has been an explosion of amazing kosher wines out there. We have within our own you know, homes, our own communities, the ability to really sanctify uh, an otherwise physical eating experience like you know, through kashrut. So I thank you. Very true. Thank you for standing up for Israel in terms of the Ben and Jerry's issue. If you can share that information with me, that would be great. You Definitely should both. continue to write. Anybody who's interested in hearing more um, and getting on um, uh, Gabriel's uh, Instagram and his Facebook group. It's called Kosher Gurus, Kosher Nation. And um, he's got the Nash, which is a restaurant radio show every Thursday night at 930. 
uh, along with his iTunes and Google Play podcast channel. You can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Kosher Guru, Twitter, The Kosher Guru, or subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, he's got a lot of ways for you to follow him, and I really recommend you do that. Thank you so much, Gabriel, for, for, for coming on today. Thank you to the MJE family, Rabbi Wiles. Thank you for all the great work. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Be well, everybody, and have a great day. Thanks so much. Take care. Be well. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wilds. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.